Harris as he brings the word this morning. Where'd you go, big guy? In fact, let's just take a second and pray for the Burst family. Will you do that with me? God, I thank you for the man of God in this house who leads us so well, who is an encourager, an inspire, a shepherd, a father, a brother. Lord, would you bless him, his wonderful wife and their kids? Lord, would you give them everything that they need to continue to sustain the life that they live and all that they do and sacrifice on your behalf, on our behalf, on the kingdom's behalf? God, would you teach him, whisper into his ear. Would you bless Mary this week? Um, would you just give her a refreshing? God, she works so very hard. And not only at her incredibly intense job um, at the hospital and emergency care, but God, just the emotional pressures of being um, a mother in this house and a mother to her kids in her house. God, bless the kids with great focused time with their parents. And would you bless the word in Canton this morning? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord a hand for your pastor this morning? Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, he's been leading us through this great summer series. I've loved this series, Post-it Notes from God. Just the thought that, that God would take a, a second out of his busy day to drop a little message for me into my heart. And that's how I felt every time I have walked away on Sunday morning. Of course, as we walked through June, it was the note, I miss you. I miss you, and there were several weeks where we were thinking about how the Father, the first week it was our time together, I miss our time together. The second week was, I miss you, where have you been? And we talked about that separation, how, how we've walked away from God, um, not only biblically did we do it in, in the fall of man and our need for a Savior, but how we still tend to do that during our weeks and our days. The third week we walked into, let's connect, I miss you, let's connect, let's set up time together. And we talked about, I miss you, will you please come home? And the redemption that is found in Christ. In July, we walked through the I love you post-it notes, right? I love you, I packed you a lunch. Remember Pastor Dan up here with his picnic basket in his banquet, pulling out each piece, and we end up with communion as we learned that the Word of God is our bread and our sustainment. I love you, let's connect. I love you, I left you a gift. Remember, I think that was Jeremy that talked about the Holy Spirit. I love you for your good. That was a tough one. That was a tough one, the discipline of the Lord, right? But it's for our good that the Father disciplines the sons and daughters that He loves. I love you. I'll be right back. Friends Day. What a great message. The soon incoming King who would never leave us or forsake us. And this month, we are on the sticky note theme of please don't forget. Last week we were littered with the message. Quite literally littered with the message. While Pastor Dan talked about please don't forget to take out the trash. We talked about the filth and the garbage that builds up in our lives. And how we throw it away and then sometimes we don't fill the hole so the enemy has a way of firing a dart that helps us just pull that stuff back out and spread it all over again. 
And we even wrote down some things on some notes and took them back and laid them at the foot of the cross by throwing them away and saying, we're going to take this garbage out of our life and allow the Holy Spirit to come fill those holes. And today we continue with the Please Don't Forget series. And this is, please don't forget to water the flowers. Please don't forget to water the flowers. It's been hot for a couple weeks. I don't know how your flowers are looking. I know how mine are looking, and I need this sticky note every morning. I love flowers. Flowers remind me particularly of my mother and my grandmothers and my aunties, the women in my life. These women in my life, they've been something. Most of you know them or heard them or met them, many of them. My grandma Ferris used to love to garden. And when we were kids, they had a yard that just seemed so huge. It's amazing how perspective changes when you grow up. My father ended up buying that house, and I sort of grew up there throughout the years, and I still drive by it every now and then and see it. And it's not all that big. <laughs> but when I was little, oh, I thought it was a farm. It was massive to me. And we play, all of my cousins would meet up there, and we played every bat and ball game, every hide-and-seek, every game kids could think of. And I'm telling you, there were epic annual Easter egg hunts in this yard. You could do everything at Grandma Ferris's yard. Grandma Ferris would put on a record on the hi-fi. She thought she was cool because she was one of the only grandmas in the area that had a hi-fi. She'd put on the record and, you know, the old slide the thing across, pull out the album. It was in the big console hi-fi. Hers had wheels, and she'd slide it by the back door, and we'd be out there listening to Elvis and Willie Nelson and you name it, Marty Robbins. I know a lot of these kids are like, <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Long before Wikipedia, I promise you. And we'd be out there just playing it massively. But Grandma's love changed a little bit whenever the balls and bats got a little too close to the garden. Because my grandma loved her garden. And then all of a sudden you hear that stern tone in her voice. You kids, don't stay away from those flowers. She loved her flowers. We had to stay away from the garden. And she worked out in that yard every time I ever went by that house. Till eventually diabetes in her ailing body would fail her. And she could no longer... Do it. My grandma Thacker, my mother's mom, she helped raise me. I spent so many of my younger years living at that house, and she took pride in her yard, and she had this little tiny, tiny house. It was tiny when I was little, and I promise you it got tinier when I got older and my perspective changed. It was tiny, and it was smack dab in the middle of White Center. White Center is what I said. <laughs> tiny house, White Center. Not what you would call a place where you find life and teeming, green, beautiful, luscious things. But you would at my grandma's house. It was a light in the middle of that dark neighborhood. Because the flowers were everywhere. She'd have flowers, flower pots up the steps of her porch, flowers hanging on each side of the door. And she always trimmed the little walkway that went from her house to the road with like a little six-inch gutter on both sides of the sidewalk so she could line that up every year with her little annual flowers. My little old grandma, four foot nothing, hundred and nothing pounds, used to sing and dance with Shirley Temple. She'd be out there singing in her yard, planting these flowers. I love flowers. My mom was so much that way. My mom loved flowers. She started each year with a couple hanging baskets and a few flower pots to decorate her patio. And by the end of the summer, they were always so huge. I never knew what she fed them. There was little room left for family and friends. She had a pool and a patio and there were flowers. And if you could find your way through to get into the door, you were lucky. This is a pick, actually, of some of the flowers. I mean, look at that basket in the middle. That's two huge patio chairs on either side of that little hanging basket that didn't hang very long because it would have broken the eaves. Had to take it down. You can't really see the pictures. Aren't that clear? But it was just full 
My mom was so much that way. Not only did her flowers add life to her house, color and vibrancy and freshness and smell, but they were life to her. They gave her life. She had flowers planted in people's memory. She, when people would pass on, she would transplant. She transplanted flowers from my grandmother's garden when my grandmother passed into her yard. She, she took a, a tomato plant, I remember, that was my uncle's, and my uncle always talked about it, so she went and stole it from his garden when he passed and planted it in her yard. There was grandma's roses, and that plant over there, that was Uncle Fred. She'd go out and talk to Uncle Fred, her brother. Oh, Fred, she'd spend hours out in the garden talking to Fred. Something about flowers, plants, gardens, it just symbolizes life, right? And it's just the opposite is true as well. Any place you go that can't grow flowers just sort of symbolizes death and barrenness to us. I think about when they mow down these beautiful trees and plant this nothing but pavement, right? They pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Cameron, Google that one too. Okay? Think about barren places, dry, arid, Deserts, rocky, dirty, concrete, desperation, death. It all just sort of symbolizes that. One of the TV shows that I catch regularly is Gold Rush. I know I'm the only one in here who watches television. <laughs> and I kind of like Gold Rush, and it's just amazing to me. Though I, I have to always assume, in fact, I just tell myself this so that I can justify watching the show because it breaks my heart being a Northwesterner, loving the environment. It breaks my heart. I love the show, and I love that every year they're on this search but they come into these places, and it's usually up in Alaska, right, in the Klondike, up in the Yukon. They go in these places that are just lush, teeming, beautiful eco-environments. And they strip them bare to mine. And at the end of the mining season, they just drive away. Now I'm hoping there's some state regulations that stuff goes on after that that we don't see. Warehouser comes through and replants, I don't know. But I know this, they go into the most beautiful place in God's green earth, and they walk away leaving a dead, barren, desert sucked all the life right out of it, stripped it bare, and walk away. And it breaks my heart. Maybe you've lived in places like that before. Maybe you've experienced relationships like that before. Maybe there's times in your life, just seasons, where you look around, and what just weeks ago, months ago, years ago, seemed like it was teeming with life, suddenly just feels barren, dry, dusty. You know, there was an entrepreneur in the late 1800s, the early 1900s. He was a businessman with a business mind, and he recognized that there was so much growth happening on the West Coast, particularly in the San Francisco area and along that whole western seaboard corridor from San Francisco up through Portland, Portland through Seattle, and even all the way up to the border. So in 1904, he convinced his begrudging brand-new bride, his young wife, to purchase land right in the middle of a small little rock and lime quarry. His justification was we won't have to build a house. We can actually put it right in the middle of the quarry and we'll just work right here. He thought if he did this, he could lime the rock in the lime that was needed to feed a Portland cement company. And the Portland cement company was helping with that building boom all up and down the West Coast there in the 1900s. He saw a vision for business that would be successful. And the business was a success. But the problem was his young marriage surviving in a dusty and desolate place was not so happy. Can you imagine if this was the view out your front window every day? Every time you opened the door, every time it got a little hot and you wanted to roll, put the window up for some wind, it was just dust. Every time you opened up the shades in the morning and looked out the window to your landscape, this was it. Every time you opened the front door and stepped on the front porch, this is what you saw. Smack dab in the middle of a rock quarry, not very life-giving for his 
young bride who was trying to figure out how to maybe raise her kids here. She was not happy. As you can imagine, she demanded change. Maybe you've been in a relationship every now and then where you felt like you wanted to demand change. Maybe you looked around at your own life and thought, God, does my life feel like a garden? Do the people around me feel watered? Maybe it's time that I demand change in my own life. Just maybe, if not literally, maybe figuratively, emotionally, spiritually, this is what our hearts look like when we step out the front door in the morning. You know, Proverbs 15.4 tells us this, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Your words matter. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak to us. We do not just have a God, a deity that we have to read about. You do not only live in ancient scrolls and stories passed down through the generations. God, you do not encourage us to do something that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're not available for us to do every day. And that is speak words of life and encouragement. God, I thank you that you do that for me. And I know that you do that for everyone in this room. Lord, will we be open this morning to hear your word, your encouragement, and your life. Amen. So maybe you felt like that, Brad, at times. No matter what you do, it feels like every time you open the front door to your heart, it just gets too dry and dusty. And sometimes keeping the door to your heart closed is the only answer. Maybe you felt like that entrepreneur, that man who was trying to live out his visions, be a provider, be a success. And while it seemed like you were achieving your goals, on the outside, in the end, those closest to you were actually living in a dry and barren environment. They were longing for a spirit of color and vibrancy and smell in life. I brought some of my flowers with me this morning. I stink at this, by the way. I did not get the gene from my grandmothers and my mom. I got the heart. I just didn't get the talent. Right? You heard the old joke. You have the right to remain silent. I had the right. I just did not have the ability. <laughs> okay? I do not have the talent. But every year I try. And every year I throw them up around the porch in the patio. And every year I come home after work every day and try to water them or try to remember to. And you can see I brought some that aren't doing so well. Not doing very well at my house because, well... I stink at this. But I brought them anyway. I wanted to bring them this morning because I wanted to show you that I'm not very good at this. And quite frankly, I'm not always very good at this. I'm, sometimes I'm really good at it. Sometimes I gravitate to the ones that are doing well because those are the easiest ones to be good at. And then I have these ones that are a little closer into the sun. This one's got suns about 24 or 7. And so when I walk by this one, I think, this is going to take more work from me than this one takes. In fact, because I, I don't do anything but buy them every year and then water them, I've never even YouTubed on how to do this or how much water it should be. I, I'd probably drown this one and then don't give this one enough. I could do a little research. I mean, if I really cared about making this one look like this one, I could probably stop and read some books or YouTube something and figure it out. But that's just more work and effort than I've got. I'll keep water in it. Don't get me wrong. I'll throw water on that the same time I throw water on this one, but I won't put any more effort into this one. 
And I have a confession for you. I think sometimes the people in my life feel like that. From the road, by the way, when you're driving by my house, that looks really good. Until you get up close. And I think that there are relationships in my life, sometimes at work, sometimes in the four walls of my home, that for whatever reason, this one just takes a little more effort. I don't always just have. The words I normally say to everybody else don't work in this one. The way I encourage and inspire these three people just doesn't seem to resonate with this person. Now, I want to be life-giving there, but it's harder. And so that relationship starts looking like that because I'm not doing everything God's asked me to do. And maybe I'm not alone. So what is God calling us to do? What does it mean to water the flowers? God's calling for each of us as Christians is that we would be life-giving. That we would be the color, the vibrancy, the smell, the life, the feeling, the atmosphere of the garden in our world, right? Don't you want to be the person that people in your life run to when they need water? So that you can point them to our Heavenly Father who really is ultimately what they're thirsting for? Now don't get me wrong, I don't want people to come to you the rest of your life, but certainly we need to know this, we are Jesus with skin on. If they don't see it in us, they will never find it in Him. I want to water you enough that you want to know where I get it from. Then let me tell you where I've been filled. Problem is, if I'm not filled, you won't find it in me either. God has placed you in a metron. Metron is a Greek word. It's used throughout the Scripture. It means your sphere of influence. In the Old Testament prayer, God extend our tent pegs. The word there is metron. Extend our metron. Extend our area of influence. He has placed you in a metron. And I want to ask you this honestly today, and I'd like you to ask your questions several times throughout the next few minutes. How do the people in my metron feel about being placed there? See, I'm often focused on God. What do I need to do now that you've placed me here? But every now and then I need to stop. I'm, I'm about ready to start my soccer season. We start tomorrow morning, right? Next 12 weeks. Here we go, intensity. So I've been having coaches meetings and hiring staff the last couple weeks. And I had a meeting this last week with my three coaches. And I asked them this. On your bad day, not your worst day as a human, but just think about the last couple seasons you coached. And I want you to think about one of your bad days as a coach. What did it feel like to be coached by you? And I had them write it down. I said, now on your good day, what does it feel like to be coached by you? And I'm going to email this out to you every week, and I want to remind you, because our kids deserve your best. So I want to ask you today, what does it feel like to be planted in your metron? How does that feel for your kids? Kids, how does that feel for your parents? How does that feel for your coworkers? We often are focused, God, why did you put me here? But the question is, how does it feel for them that I'm put here? Does it feel like a vibrant garden where they long every morning to just be there to get the smell and the feel and the touch, the color, the life? Sadly, in my life, I can tell you the answer is probably sometimes. Not all the time. So many ways that we can bless those around us. In the renowned book and teachings of Gary Smalley and John Trent, they've adopted it now with Focus on the Family. Focus on the, family. the authors submit five very specific areas of blessing. Maybe you've read the book, The Blessing. Those areas are this. The first blessing of the five is meaningful touch. 
That's how we can bring life to those around us, those in our area. Meaningful touch. Before a word was spoken, there was the laying on of hands. There was the hug. There was the greeting with the holy kiss throughout Scripture. Reaching out to touch. How many times when Jesus healed that He include touch? Was it because it was required? No. There were times He did not include touch. But there were times where it was touch. In fact, there was time on a dead man where it was laying prone, hand to hand, face to face, belly to belly, chest to chest, across him, and breathing life. Appropriate touch conveys powerful nonverbal ways of love and affirmation, preparing the way for our words. Pastor Randy will tell you that we train our greeters on, what do we call it, 30, 20, 10? Am I getting the numbers right? What is it? 10 4 2. That's trucker lingo for good buddy. And 10 is, I want to make eye contact. I want, you to, I want to have acknowledged that you're here. 4 is, I want to start, I want a verbal contact and I want to start making my way towards you. Okay? And by 2, I want to have verbal contact and I want to be reaching out, shake your hand, a hug, a high five, a fist bump. Because meaningful touch means something to all of us. Why do you think guys high five and chest bump that don't know each other? Meaningful touch means something to all of us. It's innate in us. There are volumes of medical, physiological, psychological literature written on the healing power of touch. So much so it's too numerous to mention. The second blessing is this. Attaching high value to those in your metron. The very word blessing itself carries the idea that the person you're blessing is incredible worth and value. Even as an imperfect person, in short, you're helping somebody get the picture that you see things in their life today that make them special. Do the people that are planted in your metron feel like you see them as special and valuable? That you see them as Christ sees them? There are special people in this world, and we're surrounded by them all the time, but we save some of our highest value that we place on people with titles or things that are somehow extra special. You know, regardless of how you feel about our current president, I know that you still respect the office. I know that if he walked in these doors right now, unannounced to you, there would be a certain <gasps> in this room. Regardless of how you feel about the Pope, if he walked into this room right now, unannounced, and there was this maddening of security and this sudden busyness, and we all turned around and the doors opened and he walked in, there'd be a certain <gasps> in the room. I want my kids to feel a certain from me every time they walk in the house. I want my wife I want my pastor, I want my brothers and sisters in Christ that have been such a blessing to my life. When Pastor Randy and Kathy take some weeks off to rest and recuperate and hit the lake and enjoy the summer and they finally walk back in to life spring, I want them to sense a, ah, you're here. In fact, would you do me a favor? Earlier, we did our meet and greet. And I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And would you meet and greet one another? And would you just, ah, you're here. Jeremy, ah, you're here this morning.
Imagine that. Imagine attaching that kind of high value. How would people flock to you if they felt that watered every day? How would your coworkers feel like if every time they walked into the cube, the office, the garage, there was a sense in you that was like, man, I'm so excited to be with you, to see you. I place high value on you. The third blessing is this, and I'm going to go through these next couple really quick. You picture a special future. You realize that when you look at somebody, you don't see their imperfections and their mistakes. You can look past them and see what God is doing and that He is not finished. We look at each other. I look at each other. I look at people and I say to myself, oh my gosh, if they would just fix this. If they would just get this thing right. I look at myself and I, oh man, Wayne, if you would just do this. God sees the end from the beginning. He is not done working in you. What if we created a culture where every time we looked at each other, instead of seeing you as you are, I see you as you will be and I believe in faith it will be that we picture a special future for each other. For I know the plans I have for you to care Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Do we picture others that way? The fourth blessing is an active commitment. Blessing somebody means that we never ever leave them through their challenges or their areas of growth. That we bless them absolutely. Know at an incredibly deep level that they have our blessing. That we are committed to them. We are committed to them in their deepest and darkest moments, in their highest and highest of highs. We are committed to them to find, help them find their greater story in life and be on the journey along the way. Those are four of the blessings. The one I spend, want to spend the most time on this morning is this, the fifth one. Speaking words of life. Speaking words of life. Proverbs 18 20 through 21 says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death for those who love to eat of its fruit. Proverbs has a lot to say about the tongue. Over 150 times in Proverbs alone does the writer refer to our lips, our mouth, our tongue, the words that we speak. One of the central issues of the book of Proverbs is your tongue. How interesting. The book focused on wisdom is mostly focused on your words. The book focused on wisdom is mostly focused on your words. And not just Solomon and Proverbs, James in his letter to the Jewish Christians of his day writes this in James 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, as they are so large and are driven by strong winds, but steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set only by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I'm going to say that again. With our tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with that very same tongue, We curse the people around us. 
for us sons and daughters of the Father made in his likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a group behind bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. What is your heart producing from your tongue? Do you get it? Your words are important. After all, God created the whole universe with His words. He spoke, and it was so. Our Lord Jesus Himself is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Your words are important. And they have the power to destroy like a tongue of fire and to lift up and steer like a mighty ship rudder. Your words are important. Why are they so important? One is because the need for communication, the basic need for communication, it is in our DNA. I want you to understand this. God is communal in nature. He is a triune God, a three-in-one. Being a part of community is part of His eternal DNA. And by essence, communication is necessary in community. The same way that community is part of his DNA, communication is necessary for community to happen. It's a basic tenet. Community, by definition, requires and presumes some communication between those communing. You know, according to researchers, the average person opens their mouth about 700 times a day. And in those 700 times, the average person will speak 18,000 words. Now I can tell you this. The day they came up with a Fitbit that counts words instead of steps, I'm in. I'm in. Bring that on. (laughs) I want a pedometer that counts my words, not my steps. 18,000 words a day. So my question to you is this. What are your words doing for those who are planted in your Metron? What are your words doing? No wonder that Jesus said, by your words you will be condemned and by your words you will also be justified. Is it any wonder that the fastest growing radio format in the U.S. today is talk radio? People are abandoning musical formats of all genres and moving to talk radio. Words are important. Words are incredibly important. Why? Not only because the basic need for communication between a people who are, in essence, supposed to be about community, but words are important because they provide power. They provide power. When there was a void and a nothingness, God said, let there be light. Lazarus, come forth. Take up your mat and walk. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Oh, words reinstate a man in a moment to his sonship in the kingdom. Upon this rock I will build my church. Love one another. The greatest among you will be the servant. 
of all. Oh, the amazing power of words. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is finished. Words are powerful. Maybe I need to bring it a little closer to home for you. Give me liberty or give me death. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the principle that all men are created equal. A government of the people, for the people, by the people. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask instead what you can do for your country. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. I have a dream. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Words have power. Words have power. They have a powerful opportunity to be a blessing like water in your life and the lives of those in your metro. And I remember the first time I was old enough to recall my real father saying, I love you. Now I know he said it to me as a baby. But something changed as I became a toddler and a child. And it wasn't until I was 21 years old and at an airport leaving the country that my father hugged me and said, I love you. And I will never forget that moment. I recall the first time my stepfather called me son. I was 10 years old. I love that. And I will never forget that moment. There are thousands of times that my wife has spoken life and blessing and forgiveness. I forgive you. All the power of those words. I love you. Can I tell you the most powerful words she ever spoke to me? They were in a card with Winnie the Pooh on the front. And it said, Pooh? Yes, Piglet? And you opened it up and it said, ah, nothing, I just wanted to be sure of you. Powerful words. My kids have spoken powerful words just at the right time out of nowhere when Kyla says, you want to go to the game, Dad? I'd like to spend some time with my dad. I've got a note that falls out of my Bible every now and then that reminds me, handwritten note from KJ, the day that Cindy and I were engaged to be remarried seven years ago. It said, congratulations, Dad, you're engaged. We prayed. Quite frankly, I gave up. But you never did. And I'm so thankful for it. Powerful words. My pastor, my pastor is one of the greatest encouragers I have ever met. 49 years old, this heart and this way of life. And slowly over the last six years, it's been changing and changing the way I relate to people, the way I see ministry, the way I do life. It's been hard. It's hard to change 49 years of concrete and rock quarry and lime. But little by little, it looks a whole lot more like the way he does it. Because one day I just looked up and thought, I want to look a lot more like that. 
I want people to feel the way I feel like when I'm in his garden. I have friends, family. I have an envelope from Brother Ray Wright. He gave Bobby a gift to give to me when he passed. I be honest with you, I can't even tell you what it is. It's some goofy little pin, like a little medallion. It looks military of some kind. I'll tell you what's meaningful is not the pin. On the outside of the envelope in his handwriting, it says, to my favorite disciple, my son. I don't even look at the pen, but I keep that envelope where I can see it. Words of life spoken into my soul at the right time. Whether you know it or not, there's power in your words. I remind you again these words from Proverbs 18 that we looked at earlier. From the, mouth, from the fruit of his mouth, the man's stomach is filled with the harvest of his lips. He is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who live it will eat its fruit. See, whether you know it or not, there's power power of life and death in your words. And are you speaking life? Do those in your metron feel like they live in a garden or a desert? Proverbs 10.31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. Proverbs 15 says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge. You see, your tongue can be used to speak wisdom and knowledge and sound advice. Proverbs 12.25 says, An anxious heart bears a man, weighs a man down, but the kind words cheer him up. 1523, a man finds joy in giving apt reply, but how good is a timely word. 1624, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I know you think that's metaphorical, but if you've ever read anything in the medical profession, they will tell you this. It's not just medical, metaphorical. Any person surrounded by positive, optimistic, caring people who build them up and affirm them heals faster. Every doctor will tell you that. So my question is this, are you using your tongue to bless and heal those around you and encourage them? Do you speak encouragement? Do you surround yourself with people who speak encouragement to you? If you were given a dime for every blessing that you spoke this past year, but you had a dime taken away for every time you criticized, every time you went home and spoke negatively in front of your family about someone else at church, every time you criticized a coworker or your boss, Maybe a nickel was taken away in the times you just stayed silent when you could have encouraged, spoken blessing, and you chose silence instead. Let me ask you this. At the end of this year, would you be rich or poor? Your tongue can be used to witness to others. Proverbs 10 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many. And 11, the fruit of righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. Think for a minute. What speaks to your soul? What speaks to your soul? On your chairs when you came in were these little LifeSpring notepads. We want to give those to you as a gift. And I'm actually going to ask you, if you don't have a bulletin, to use those to write in. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And I want to give you a minute to reflect. I'll ask you the questions first, and I'm going to have Adam come back up and play some music for us. But I'll ask you these questions. Think about what it is that encourages you most. Is it words of affirmation? Is it words of inspiration? I mean, all those things encourage all of us, I'm sure, at all times. But what is it that most resonates with you in your area of needs? Is it I love you? I'm proud of you? I believe in you? Is it God has a plan for you? Is it the reminder that you are a son and daughter of the king? What resonates most with you? I'm going to give you just a second. Think about those things. 
and write down maybe the last two or three affirmations, encouragements, blessings that someone spoke that still sit in your heart because they felt so good. And I'm going to ask you to just write it down, a little note to yourself, a reminder. Adam, why don't you go ahead and come on up. And I'm going to ask you this next question as Adam and the team begin to play just a little bit. I want you to think about those closest in your metron, in your sphere of influence, your kids, your parents, your siblings. Who is it in your house right now that you're trying to bless, you would like to bless? Maybe even spread that metron out just a little bit. Your church friends, your neighbors, your pastors, maybe your co-workers or acquaintances, maybe that guy that you see every morning at the Starbucks, and you've struck up several conversations, and you've gotten to know them. Who are these people that God has placed in your metron that you have an opportunity or desire to bless with powerful words? Just write their names down. I want you to be very specific this morning. We're not going to rush this. Write their names down. Jot their names down. I want you to remember. I want you to think about them. I want you to visualize them in your mind for just a moment. I have very specific people in my mind right now. The first thing I ask you to write down is what is it that resonates with your heart? And I want to say this, when you're thinking about that list of people you just made and you're wondering where to start, start with what has blessed you. Pass that on. One of the greatest blessings in my life came about 10 years ago. I was desperate and hurting. I was making some wrong choices and I got up one morning and decided to just start over. And I went to my best friend's house, my cousin Darren. Many of you know Darren. And in the middle of our conversation and prayer time, he looked at me and he said, I just have to tell you that I am so proud of you. And it's the first time that somebody who wasn't an elder in my life said that. You know, you receive that kind of from a father or a father figure, a grandmother, an uncle, somebody saying, I'm proud of you. It felt weird to my ears to hear a peer say that. I'm proud of you. Well, who are you to be proud of me? You're not my dad, you know. But it didn't feel weird to my heart. It felt really good. It was a strange moment. He'd never really spoken to me like that before, and I'd never really heard that from somebody who was a peer. But I know this, my spirit risen, responded, and something in me wanted to wake up the next day and make the same choice. Throughout the coming weeks, he would say it three or four times more. Man, I'm really proud of you today. And all of a sudden, I got past that initial, you have to be older than someone to say words like that. And it's the one thing that I try to say now all the time. It's what was sewed into me, so it's what comes out. I love telling people that now. A couple weeks ago, Pete Wilmot, out of nowhere on the phone, said to me, I just want you to know I'm proud of you today. It reminded me of that. I love that. So what I'm saying to you is I had you write those things down so that you could just start, when you don't know where to start, start with what has been sewed into you, what, what resonated with your heart and your spirit, what encouraging words so that you might encourage others there. And then I want to just spend a minute praying over that list that you've made. 
because I want God to whisper into your ear and into your heart ways that you can be intentional about watering that garden now. Because there's going to be some things that you do in your garden that I can't do in my garden. Your people in your Metron need something that people in my Metron don't need. But I know this, God puts you in that Metron because he wants to give you what they need to give them what they need. So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask the team to just sing through this a little bit as you continue to pray over your list, and then we're going to close. Father God, you see this list, these names. Lord, you know. You know how you want to be life-giving and life-changing, and your Holy Spirit wants to bring color and vibrancy and smell and lush and green and Eden and Eden and Eden and Eden into these lives, and you want to do it through your children. Give us a plan. Give us a purpose. Give us intentional ways. Give us words. Lord, if there are things in our hearts that are stopping us, that are creating gaps in the relationship, that are creating dry places for our family, Lord, I never want my vision for my business or my goals on the external things in life to be the one thing that causes me to sacrifice watering my own garden in my own home. So help us to see those things. Help us to take this moment in prayer to examine our own hearts and ask if something is not flowing out of my heart, if salt water is coming out of this freshwater tap, show me now, Lord. Show me now.